Hi, this is Jason Lead Pastor, Casper Alliance Church. Thanks for stopping by our weekly teaching podcast. This is week three of our series on the Feast of Jesus that uh, is kind of uh, summarized in Leviticus chapter 23. This uh, week we talk about the Feast of First Fruits. This is uh, the idea of, of giving to the Lord the first thing from your harvest. And so we talk a lot about the resurrection of Jesus. Hey, thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. If you'd like to know more about Casper Lions Church, you can check us out, check us out at casperchurch.com, facebook.com forward slash Casper Lions Church, or you can go to your Google Play Store or Apple Store and download the Casper Lions Church app. Just search for Casper Lions Church, look for the double C's, and to hit download. Thank you. Have a great day. I know we joke about this. Um, I, I am a natural introvert introvert and and the energy on a sunday morning i don't know how it happens but i'm exhausted at like about about right now i get tired and then i ramp back up but i, I what i've learned is the kids the energy i give to the kids when i get in their face they don't like it and it takes them a serious amount of time for them to warm up to me before they uh they go okay i think he's been here long enough to where i can trust him he's not gonna hurt me because i mean I'm not a small human being, um, a smaller than I used to be. Yeah, that's true. I'm glad that we don't have video of our first days here like we do now. But it, there's a lot of energy that comes. I mean, I just, like, maybe warmth, heat, fire, maybe anger. Maybe they can sense. They're like dogs. They can sense the rage inside of me. Anyway. Um, it's been fun to have these kids slowly warm up to me. I, I had a, a like a six month run in kids ministry, which I'm not. I shouldn't be doing that, because we just break things and kids get hurt and it's bad. But they all have a relationship with me now, which has been has been fun. So, and I can't wait till we have 150 kids here and I could have a relationship with 150 kids. There's no limit, I think, in my mind, to where the lead pastor, the senior pastor gets to know the kids. It's not, there's not a barrier. That's, it's just awesome. So I've talked about it with my own life. I had pastors in my life who were wonderful to me, made fun of me, called me names, but I have a relationship with them and I remember them. And so um, enjoying your children, um, I love it. So thank you for entrusting them with me and letting me break some of them every now and again. So we're in this series, The Feast of Jesus, and um, I was talking this morning a little bit when we were getting ready to pray uh, with the worship team in the morning, and it hasn't gone the way my mind had, had set it up. So just to give you some background, I, I kind of, I found this book in which I think people are buying or like talking about buying. It's Celebrating Jesus and the Feast. It's a great book. It, it exposes a lot of the history. It shows and points everything to Jesus and why these things, why the feasts actually all point to Jesus. And, it's, and it's, uh, it's this beautiful picture of what God put in place in practice to point us to the Messiah. Now, I had this kind of concept, and this is like a year and a half ago I set this up for around Easter time. So, like, I worked that far ahead in, in sermon prep just so I can, like, I can spend, try to spend time doing other things. But this, this series hasn't gone how my mind has thought it was going to. And, and some of that is because I don't know if I was ready, personally, to interact in the way that I've had to interact the last couple of weeks with the text. So what I thought, and this is, this is about like, who am I really? In my mind, I set this up to where I'm going to be this 
great pontificator of educational information to teach and show you what the feasts do. And, and in my head, I think I had all these charts and graphs and, and like Venn diagrams and, and just really interesting things and Y and X axis. And I was going to do algebra for you with feasts. And it was going to be really exciting. And I was going to break this code for us that nobody had ever seen before. Well, that was an overstatement in my own mind. Because the reality is, it's very obvious to see when we, when we read these, the story from Leviticus, it all points to Christ. It's just, it, it's so obvious. And so, the way in which I've, I've labored is, I feel like I'm saying the same thing every Sunday morning about Jesus. Now, some, some people would go, okay, listen, you're a little redundant on the whole Jesus thing, I get it. Right? Okay, good news. You know, Jesus came, died. You have life in him now. I firmly believe we should never grow weary ever of talking about Jesus and the good news. And it's impressing on me more and more as I've gone through this study in my, and like I've revisited my outlines that I made and I started like digging into the book in a deeper way. The, 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 the Word of God in all of its nuance and its detail and its history and its and its facts and its and it's all about Jesus. The whole thing is about Jesus. Jesus only is what this is about. Now there's historical story. There's there's um there's lots of fun stories and, and neat things that happen. There's failures and, and there's actions of faith, but every piece and every part and everything is this, this story, this progression of, of the moment Jesus arrives, and even more so, the moment we get to encounter Jesus. So not only is it historically looking back towards Jesus and saying that all of this historic data and stuff and the exodus and the law and, and the prophets and the, the poetry and and on and on in the God. It's, it's all about Jesus, but it, it points even more to make it personal to us. To where we get to interact with the very Jesus that is intended to be interacted with in Leviticus. That should have an impact on our soul in a, in a deep and meaningful way. And I think that that's kind of why I'm I'm like, I had this vision and idea of how we would have charts and graphs, and I would have this whiteboard and pictures, and the, like I'd be drawing, drawing wheat, and I would be drawing the temple, and there'd be like this, like the waving of the sheaves, which we're, we're celebrating this morning, where this first fruits offering, and we're waving it. And really, it's all about Jesus and how we're related and connected to him. That should never get boring to any of us. Ever. You should never, don't ever walk into our church and go, eh, do I really need to hear another message about Jesus? Like, you know, I'd like somebody to break down what's going on in Revelation. It's about Jesus! <laughs> it's, it's as boring as your salvation is. You ever think about that? You're like, you know, that guy who's talking about Jesus, and I'm not trying to point to me because, listen, I know I'm entertaining. I got a few jokes and stories. I can weave a yarn. <laughs> but when you sit and listen to somebody teach and they're talking about the person of Jesus Christ, 
You should never, ever go, eh, I don't really need this. Move along. The move-along culture, the move-along desire to be entertained are the people who are missing out. They're missing out on the good news of Jesus Christ and the hope that that brings. So that we can face any sort of thing with this foundation of life and hope. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 26. So the, Leviticus 23 is a, is, is, a, is a beautiful exposition of all of the feasts. Leviticus 23, like the, the ones which Jesus celebrated. They're all there. The ones Jesus walked through and fulfilled as a person, actually. But Deuteronomy 26, I think, is fun. It gives a little bit more detail. I liked it better um, because it, it just it explored uh, a little bit more and gave some detail. So I'm going to read Deuteronomy 26, 1 through 11 to you. And, and this morning, so we, here's where we've gone. And this is all about... We've celebrated the Feast of Passover where... where uh, where God promised to, to remove slavery, remove the burden of slavery, remove the bondage from the people, his Hebrew people. And he said, here's how you're going to do it. You're going to sacrifice a lamb. There's a specific way to do it. And you're going to put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of your house, of the threshold. And you're gonna, that's a symbol of inviting me into your family, inviting me into your household, inviting me into your life. And then, and then uh, the angel of death will pass over, and now we have initiated a covenantal relationship. God says, you do this, and I'll do this. That's a covenantal relationship. So think about when, you, when you've been married, and you give these vows. I promise to do this, and do this, and do this, and I promise to love you no matter what, and this, and this, and this. And then and hopefully your wife reiterates that back to you, and you share those things, that you are entering into a covenantal relationship. Well, God established that with his people as a large group, not just individually like he did with Abraham, like he did with Noah. He did it as a large group with the Hebrew nation in Egypt when they were in slavery, in bondage, and said, I want to establish a covenantal relationship with you through this Passover experience, the 10th plague. I'm going to wipe out all these people, Timing, I guess. And, I, and we are going to enter into relationship. That's the Passover, the Feast of Passover. And then I talked about how Jesus fulfilled that. And, and we entered into a covenantal relationship for all, all, of, all people. That if you enter, Jesus says, I'm doing this, he goes to the cross, and you're saying, I'm going to put my faith and trust in him and him alone. By that sacrifice is the only way in which I can be saved. There is no other way under heaven, which I can be saved other than the work that happened on the cross, and I'm putting my faith and trust in that, so now you have been released and brought from bondage. It's not just for everyone. Remember, the, the Egyptians who did not trust in the Lord, who not, did not trust in Yahweh, they lost. They were not brought into that relationship. And so for us to enter into the, the Passover experience for, for the modern-day believer, we are putting faith and trust in the cross in Jesus Christ and His work there, and He becomes our Passover lamb. Last week, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is about, about Jesus removing the sin from our life. And when, in our terminology, or in the New Testament terminology, and even in the Alliance, we call that sanctification. Jesus is our sanctifier, meaning the leaven is re- removed from our life. The sin is being removed from our life. 
We are becoming holy before the Lord. And this was a symbol of the reason they celebrate this is you had to run out of the house quick so we don't get to take the time to put the yeast into the bread. And in fact, beyond that, we're going to take all the yeast out of the house and we're going to eat unleavened bread for six days. And we get to this next feast, which you guys talked about in Sunday school who were there today, the Feast of First Fruits. Let's read the story. Deuteronomy 26, verse 1. When you enter the land, the Lord your God has given you as a special possession, and you have conquered it and settled there. Put some of the first produce from each crop you harvest into a basket and bring it to a designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored. Go to the priest in charge at that time and say to him, With this gift I acknowledge to the Lord your God that I have entered the land he swore to our ancestors he would give us. The priest will then take the basket from your hand and set it before the altar of the Lord your God. You must then say, in the presence of the Lord your God, my ancestor Jacob was a wandering, I can never say this word, Aramean, who went to live as a foreigner in Egypt. His family arrived, few in number, but in Egypt they became a large and mighty nation. When the Egyptians oppressed and humiliated us by making us their slaves, we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors. He heard our cries and saw our hardship, toil, and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand and a powerful arm, with overwhelming terror and miraculous signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land flowing with milk and honey. And now, O Lord, I have brought you the first portion of the harvest you have given me from the ground. Then place the produce before the Lord your God and bow to the ground and worship before him. Afterward, you may go and celebrate because of all the good things that your Lord, the Lord your God has given to you and your household. Remember to include the Levites and the foreigners living among you in the celebration. Very key at the end. This wasn't just for this special people group. It was about inviting all of those to show who God was. This special service, this ceremony, this action, again, is pointing back to the work that God did. The work that God did in Egypt. The responsiveness that God had to the cries of, we are, we are tormented, we are, we are in bondage, we are in sin. It's, it's a picture into God showing up for his people. And we're celebrating that. So every time, every time that you, this happens, this season happens, in the scriptures is, is taught that you're supposed to go and do this act to, to say, yes, thank you, Lord. And I give you a piece, the first piece of my harvest. The very first piece. Because of the work that you've done, because of the relationship that we have, because of the threshold crossing that you did in my life, I'm giving you the first of my good. The very first of what I have. You get the beginning of my celebration. You are number one. This is perfect. It's a reminder. So think about this. When you go through life, we just kind of get into the monotony of life. We start doing things and, and working and showing up and we go to the factory and we make our widgets and we slam the thing and we do the, the, the daily grind and all of a sudden you're just grinding, grinding, grinding. Remember 2020? That year went so fast. It just like disappeared. Gone. And most of us did nothing for a year. Now, when we're really busy, life just continues to go. And you kind of lose 
traction spiritually, I think. This is my opinion. We just get into the mundane world of paying the electric bill, paying the mortgage, paying this, taking care of the kids, making sure there's supper on the table. What do I got to do tomorrow? Okay, let's make my list. Go to the next day. Go to the next day. Go to the... All of a sudden, it's 15 weeks later. And unless there's some sort of trauma or impact or thing that happens to wake you up, we just kind of go through the, the rigors of life. Now, this isn't bad, but the first fruits, the first fruits is a perfect reminder, a perfect reminder that, that, that sure, we have to physically work and we have to enter the field and we have to do this particular thing, but don't forget that you're spiritually connected to Yahweh, that you have a relationship, a covenantal relationship with God who brought you out of bondage, who brought you out of Egypt, who brought you and me out of sin. Don't forget those things. Don't forget that nature, that spiritual nature that you have. So there are times, and I'm confessing this, there are times where I'll just like run through life doing the busy work, and I think this is true of a lot of pastors out there. I'm throwing them all into the bus with myself, where we're just going through pastoral work and doing pastoral things, and we forget to, to actually acknowledge the spiritual component of our own work. That we're like, i got to prep a lesson. i got to prep a sermon. i got to put a three-part deal together. What do the people need to hear? i got to go do this visitation. i got to show up here. i got lunch with this guy. Let's do this. How does the order of service look? And all of a sudden, you've done like three, four, five, six. Why do you think the order of service always looks the same? Every church is like that. Because we're just kind of going, blah, blah, blah. And the first fruits, the first fruits is all about like breaking that cycle and saying no. I have a covenantal relationship with God the Father who brought me out of bondage and sin through His Son, Jesus Christ. I'm going to offer Him my first fruits. So the, this is a perfect, in, perfect instruction, perfect festival, perfect thing to do for an agricultural society, which are the Hebrew people. Remember, you're to love and serve and obey me, God the Father, who brought you out of bondage. And depend on me for everything, God says. Remain faithful to this covenantal relationship by offering your first fruits. It's an acknowledgement of who God is. So then let's get to how did Jesus fulfill this? Because that's the, that's the important part. We're calling this the Feast of Jesus. How did Jesus fulfill this? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So you... Concept-wise, you understand the first fruits. You're supposed to bring your first offering, the, the first part of the harvest, as a reminder of what God did. So we're going to make an, a practical application to our own life because, uh, I don't know, are there any farmers in here? We have future ranchers. So you, I get the first T-bone of the third cow. But do we have any Farmers? So this concept of first fruits is kind of difficult. What does the church usually say with first fruits? What do we call that? A tithe. Bring us your money. I think it's deeper than that. There's a, a deeper spiritual connection. I hopefully we can get in this. Turn to First Corinthians 15. Let's, I, just, I started talking and I forgot to turn myself. Sorry. First Corinthians 15. This is we're going to take a little snapshot of how Jesus fulfilled this, because this is really the nuts and bolts of this feast for us as people. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. These pages are not agreeing with me. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first 
of a great, whose Bible says harvest. First of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. The first fruits is a celebration in the ancient days of God's provision of salvation from Egypt. The first fruits for us in the church age is a celebration of what Christ did on the cross and was resurrected. He is the first fruit, fruit of the resurrection in order for us to have eternal life. Jesus had to be raised from the dead. That is the first fruit of celebration for us as people, as God's people, as a covenantal relationship. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, you don't have salvation. You have nothing other than the world and the life that you currently live. The 77 years on average that you get. And the debt that you accumulate or the wealth that you accumulate. That's what you got without Christ. But as the first fruit over all creation, the first raised from the dead in the person of Jesus Christ, the first to conquer sin, the first to conquer death, the first born over all creation is an impartation to our first fruit experience as well, which is life eternal. Life in Christ. In fulfilling the feast of Passover, Jesus was crucified. Now listen to this. This is really interesting. Jesus was crucified on a Wednesday, the 14th. To fulfill the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Jesus was buried at the close of Wednesday and the beginning of Thursday, the 15th. He was resurrected at the close of weekly Sabbath, the 17th, and the beginning of the first day of the week. The first fruits is the 18th. You know how we do like this sunrise, Jesus is live, resurrection. Jesus is risen. We go, Jesus is risen. We should do it at night because Jesus was resurrected in the evening. Maybe next year we'll have an Easter service at 648 on Saturday night. We do it on Sunday mornings because it's convenient. But Jesus fulfilled all of this activity. Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits during his work on the cross, resurrection, and life. Jesus was the human sheaf that was talked about in the Deuteronomy that, that God set apart for the purpose of conquering death and providing eternal life for all who acknowledge him as Messiah, Lord, and Savior. He was the first who would, be, who would rise from the dead to never die again. When we talk about the good news in the church, that's what we're talking about. When we talk about the gospel, that's what we're talking about. When we celebrate Easter and we say, He is risen, we are celebrating the first fruits of creation. The old is gone, the new has come. When we look at it at like that cosmic level, Easter morning is a celebration of the new creation the beginning of the new heaven and the new earth. And it's coming. 
Jesus is coming to fulfill it all. That that morning, evening, in ancient days, but how we do it in the morning, was the beginning of the end. 2,000 years ago was the start of Jesus restoring creation by saying, I conquered death. No man shall die if you believe and trust in me. It was during this feast and celebration at the temple that Jesus was resurrected. He was resurrected in the evening. Sunset, not sun, sunrise. He was the first fruits offering, and he was waved before the Lord. As a barley sheaf cannot be touched until it was offered to God, so Jesus, the human sheaf, cannot be touched until he offered himself in a heavenly temple as the first fruits from the dead. Our heavenly Father has accepted Jesus as the first fruits. From the dead. Believers are also acceptable now to God through Jesus. He will also raise us from the dead and give us a new resurrected body fit for eternity. So we know as a church family, we have one of our own who's in hospice that is imminently going to pass. The scripture promises her first fruit is a heavenly body fit for eternity. Fit! for eternity, fit to sit before the Lord and worship forever. That should give us hope and life and joy. That's the thing that sustains us through the junk of this world. It's the first fruit over all creation. The beginning of the new. So it's sad for us. Why? Because we cling to this life because it's all that we actually know. It's all that we understand. And we have to shake and rattle the cage in our mind. And go, no, we were created for much more. We were created for bigger and better and more proper things. We were created to sit at the throne of Christ and worship Him eternally. And say, forever and forever, amen. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain for me. That's the life that we were created for. That's what creation was intended to be in Genesis chapter 1. That's what Jesus restored at Easter for us. To wave the sheaf of our life before Him and say, we have put our faith in Christ and trust in You and You alone. He's coming. He's like, sign me up. I know I'm little, but I want in on this thing that you're yelling about. That's right, Riker. Future prophet. So yes, we have tears because it hurts and it's painful and it's sad. It really is sad. It is hard. But the joy of the Lord knowing that He has conquered all that we hate in this world, that should be encouragement to us. The believers in Christ are the human stocks that God has bundled together. Bundled together as the church and said, these are my people. The believers in Christ. Continuing in 1 Corinthians 15, turn with, or go over to verse 51. Let's go with verse 50. And this is Paul. I love what he says. He says, What I am saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. We have left this up here for a long time. Awaken to the kingdom reality. The kingdom reality is that this earthly thing is not really the kingdom. 
So stop serving it. We don't inherit this. We inherit an eternal kingdom that cannot be broken or shaken. And the gates of hell will never prevail against it. That's the kingdom we inherit because of the work of Jesus Christ. He is the first fruit. So, verse 51, but let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised and to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed, for our living, our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. See, fit for a king. Your body isn't fit for a king right now. I know mine isn't. I got the dad bod working. I don't know if Jesus wants the dad bod. So I, I'm trying, but this body isn't fit for Jesus. It's going to be transformed. I hope I get to see that. It'd be pretty sick if that happened in the next, like, eight minutes before I go take a nap. But you see, if you're alive when Christ returns, when the trumpet sounds, your body will be transformed, fit for a king. If you're dead, you will be raised if you're in Christ, and your body will be transformed and fit for a king. The point is, God will have his people before him fit, ready to worship the king. That's the first fruit. Jesus is the first fruit. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be, will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? You don't have anything on me. You can't touch me. I'm fit for the king. That's the first fruit. When you can boldly go, I'm fit for Jesus because I've been transformed. I've been changed. I've been reconciled. I've been brought before him. You are fit for the king. Death has no, no place in your life. Now, we get to experience it in the human condition. Sure. But it has a different kind of sting than a person that doesn't know Christ. It hurts different. So let's, let's have a personal application. Maybe you've already grabbed one. The Feast of Unleavened Bread the fir and First Fruits represent two important phases of the Christian walk that are necessary to change our spiritual condition. Okay? This is personal for us. It's not just about being saved. It's good. We like that. But God's concerned about our spiritual condition. He doesn't want us to wallow and to be like, woe is me. What a wretched place we have. Everything's bad. Oh, can you believe that Biden tripped up the stairs? Anybody who made fun of him, you're a liar because you tripped up the stairs too. I tripped up the stairs yesterday, <coughs> twice. I was carrying 600 pounds of laundry <laughs> and baking bread at the same time, but I did it. But we have nothing to complain about. God's concerned about our current condition. Put yourself in, in the Hebrew shoes. I'm going to take you out of bondage and slavery and take you out of out of out of this sin life or this heavy life or this 
this torment, and I'm going to move you to another torment? No. That's not what he said. That's not what he did. The torment they experienced was their own, own problem, right? I'm going to take you out of bondage, slavery, work, and I'm going to move you to a land flowing with milk and honey. Which I don't like either, though, so it can be like pizza and Diet Dr. Pepper for me. But it's not like, hey, I'm going to move you from here to the exact same thing just across the river. I care about your human condition. I care about how you live. I care about what you do. So after the Exodus, you get littered with these laws and ways to practice and things that you're supposed to do because Jesus, God, Yahweh, is concerned about how we live. Now, he just doesn't want to get us saved and we're done. It's about how we live. So the condition of our life. So the unleavened bread that we talked, I talked about last weekend when I sit at my kitchen table is about our burial with Jesus. That you no longer live, but Christ lives in you. And so it's a removal of sin. John 3.30, less of me, more of him in my life. The remo- sanctification, the, that's important. Less sin in your life. I don't think we should wake up tomorrow morning and go, you know, I'm going to figure out how to sin about 15% more today. I'm going to try to lie a little bit. Maybe I can steal a candy bar from the loafing jug. I'm going to actually get some gas and drive off and not pay for it. Like we don't do, that's not how we're supposed to live. We wake up in the morning and you're like, how can I be better today? And those who are connected with Jesus, it's more about how can I live more Christ-like today. He took our love and our sin and removed it by the work on the cross. So that's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's indicating we should live a life separated of the attitudes of this world and the ways of this world. So the anger and rage that you feel inside, that, that's a thing of this world. That's part of the earth's sinful, broken, fractured condition. The anger that we feel is, is such an addictive sin behavior that we're supposed to be putting off the old self and, and, and the old man, and we're supposed to be identifying and being conformed into the image of his son. The first fruits teaches us about the resurrection of Christ and our spirit, as well as our future body, is resurrected and perfected, fit for the king. We are saved from the old way of life to live a resurrected life. To live a resurrected life. For Jesus today. Not sometime down the road or when I die, but today. Walking with Jesus in a resurrected life today. Putting off the old man is not just good math. We also need to put on the new man, the new creation, the resurrected life. All right, I'm going to finish with this. And then we're going to worship. Let's cut it to two songs. Is that cool? Two songs? Is that all you have? We have three. Cut it to two. When we live... Is anybody taking notes? Or are you just listening? Who's taking notes? <laughs> so if you're, if you're taking notes, I'm not going to read this. I might just post it. Um, I want you to write down this verse, these verses. 2 Corinthians 5.17. 2 Corinthians 5.17. What does it say, Andy? 
Thank you. Write down that. Galatians 2.20, write it down. Write down Romans 6, 11 through 14. And write down Galatians 5, 22 through 23. These are verses that speak to what it looks like to live and walk in the Spirit, to be transformed in the now. When we live, we live in the character of the Messiah Jesus, we not only have peace with God, but we also enjoy the peace of God. Many believers do not experience this blessing. We don't, like, we say, well, I'm going to heaven, but we don't actually experience, like, this life-giving, soul-filling, fruit-filled peace. This rest that God promises all through Scripture. That when you walk with me, when you're with me, you will experience rest. That's peace. When we, when we live in the character of Christ, when we are conformed, when we are spirit-filled, when we are sanctified, when we are consecrated, the things of this world have no heavenly or eternal impact on our lives. It might bump and bruise, right? Like a kid runs into a wall, he's going to get a stump or a bump. I've seen a few black eyes in this building. We don't experience this divine blessing of peace often because we never really separate ourselves from the things of this world. And we never really consecrate ourselves fully to the person and the relationship of Jesus Christ. James 1, 16-18 says it like this. Don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God, our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us His true word. And we, out of all creation, became His prized possession. Or some scriptures say, his first fruits, or his harvest. When Jesus stands before the crowd and says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, he's looking at creation and saying there is so much hope and opportunity, and I'm the first fruit of all the harvest. And this creation can be harvested. You have to get to work. Share, teach, show them who I am. The first fruit over all creation. We are the first fruits if you're walking with Jesus, if you know Jesus, if you've been saved of God's creation to experience new life in God. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. In view of all of this, we have to present ourselves as an offering before the Lord a living sacrifice, and say, Lord, use me, shape me, conform me, teach me, separate the leaven from my life, help me to experience the first fruits, help me to live as an eternity person, as a resurrected person, to live resurrected now. I would challenge us that the more and more we cling, the more and more we hold to the things of this earth, 
the harder and harder it will be for us to experience true joy, true peace, true love, true hope. God is transforming you to a body fit to worship the King. It's who he's declared you are. You are his child. You've been given life. You've experienced the first fruit of his son, Jesus. So we're going to end our worship service with some worship songs. I think one of the songs actually is the line, I am chosen, I'm not forsaken. I am who you say I am. Who does God say that you are? God says you're my child. God says you're worth enough for me to send my prized possession, Jesus, to the cross, to die for you. You're my covenant relationship. You're the one in which I love. So much that I want to give you life. And I want you to have your life look like the person of Jesus, my son. You are who he says you are. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Lord, help us to worship this morning, to connect to you through song. Lord, I pray that you uh, stir us up. We love you, Lord. Continue to teach us. Continue to help us, comfort us. Lord, we pray for the Hoyers this morning. We pray that you, they would experience your great peace because they know you and they love you and they've committed their ways to you. That they would have the peace that transcends all understanding of this world. Lord, we pray that for ourselves. Help us. In Christ's name, amen.